Y'all ready to rumble? Turn your Bible, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 8. I, uh, I want to preach a message today, and I always, I always get a kick out of my sermon titles, because uh, I always try to make my sermon title as offensive as possible. That's, that's my goal. The more offensive it is, the better a sermon title. Today's t- message is entitled, What God Won't Do. What God Won't Do. Notice, I didn't say what God can't do. Because there's nothing he can't do, but there are certain things that he won't do. Acts chapter 9, verse 8, if you're ready, Baltimore, say, yeah. yeah. Y'all ain't Baltimore. Why y'all just, y'all just scrap? Okay, let's go. Here we go. It says this, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Somebody say receive. Receive Receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Skip over to verse 16. The Lord said, I will show Saul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. Before I preach any further, Union Church, hear me. God is getting ready to bring people into your life that are going to give you vision that you never had before. God is getting ready to bring relationships into your life that are going to open your eyes to a world that God has for you that you never knew existed. It says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this opportunity to be in your house. God, we believe that you're the God of the impossible. God, and for every single person that walked into this room today and is watching online, God, we all have an impossible situation in our lives. God, we know that you are more than able. Build our faith, speak to us, and we will respond. God, we're so grateful that it's almost football season. Go Ravens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You see, y'all think that's carnal, but God loves football. And uh, if you didn't know, the Ravens are his team. That's why we wear purple, because purple's royalty. Don't let me explain. It's in Leviticus. Anyway, we are concluding today the series that will never end. We started this series in the third week of June called The Lost Kingdom, where we've been unpacking the history of our church. And you may have heard this, this, this line when it comes to history. Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. Sometimes before you can go forward, you have to look back. 
And for so many people, so many people like us, we're Christians and we follow God, but we don't know the history of our faith. We know the Bible and we know when we got saved. And we forget that there was 1900 years, 1800 years, 2000 years between those two events. And those years affect our faith today. The whole point of this whole series is there's some of how you live out your Christianity flowers that is Bible. Somebody say amen. And then there's some of how you live out your Christianity that's culture. And the part of your Christianity that's culture, it may not be bad, but it won't necessarily bring kingdom results in your life. And so many people are disillusioned or frustrated by their walk with God because they're not seeing the results that they want. And the reality is we're not seeing results because we're not building our lives on the word of God. We're building our lives on the culture of Christianity. And God never promised that culture would produce. He promised that his word is a foundation that is unshakable. So we started talking about how there used to be one church, not all these 300,000 different denominations that we have today, but one church. And then people got involved and they said, I think I know better than the Bible. And the first church split took place. It was called the first great schism. And then they went on a few more years. And in 1517 was the second great church schism led by many reformers. It was called the Reformation. But one of the greatest people in the Reformation was a German monk by the name of Martin Luther. And he began to look at the church and how the church had strayed away from the word and was abusing people and abusing God's word. And he took what is known as the 95 thesis and he nailed it to the wall of the church. He said, these are 95 issues that I see how the church is not serving people well. One being the people don't have Bibles. You, you, you don't realize how we take little things like Bibles for granted. I don't know if y'all know this. There are free Bibles in the lobby at every campus. If you don't have a physical Bible, you can grab one. Pastor, how much do they cost? They're free. Well, not really. You paid for them with your tithes and your offerings, so they are now free. So if you need a Bible, grab one. Somebody say one. Not 15. Don't bring a Bible for everybody at your office. Let them come and get their own Bible and welcome them Sunday. But we literally have free Bibles in the lobby and we can't even imagine a time in an era where there were not Bibles available for people. Martin Luther said, no, 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 no. We don't need to go through somebody to get to God. We need to go to God for ourselves. And we talked about the different abuses, how they would whip themselves thinking that God was impressed with their suffering. We talked about how monks, if you miss this series, you got to circle back. It was probably one of the best and most hilarious series that we've ever had. And you won't know what monk juice is unless you go back and catch up with this series where we talked about how monks invented hops in beers. And before there was Budweiser and distilleries, there was the monks' monasteries where they would make uh, beer and uh, abuse it and have a little bit more fun than they ought to. And that's another message that I'm not going to preach. But the abuse that I want to talk about today and where I want to end this series, Martin Luther and the different reformers, they began to look at the church. They began to see that the church was preaching family salvation. That if you were born into a Christian home, you are automatically assumed to be a Christian. They would take babies and baptize the baby. And because the baby was baptized, they would say, oh, that baby is a Christian. That baby is going to heaven. If you grow up in a Christian home, you're automatically a Christian. 
By the way, that wasn't just in the 14th and 15th century. It's today in the 21st century. You, 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 well, most people who say that they're Christian, what they mean is my mom was a Christian and my uncle's a deacon and I was raised in church and, and I, I don't not believe that God is real. So I must be a Christian. The only problem is Martin Luther and the reformers, they were looking at this theology that if you come from a Christian home or a Christian nation or a Christian worldview, that you must be a Christian. But then they looked at scripture. In scripture, they didn't see anything about group salvation. There's no group on for salvation. There's no group discount. Everybody come catch some blood this weekend and you'll be good. They began to preach, no, 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 no. Salvation is not a cultural belief. It's not a familial belief. It is a personal decision. You, you, you can't be born a Christian. Why? Because John 3.16 says you must be born again. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Here is the only thing that makes you a Christian. Not where you grew up, not where you were raised, not even what you say out of your mouth or what you do with your Sunday mornings. Verse nine, it says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Old preachers used to say, standing in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> I'm not a Christian because I'm here. I'm a Christian because I've confessed with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord and he died on the cross and it is his blood that has washed away my sin. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, we might get the whole church saved all over again. Give me a second because there's two parts. There's two parts to your salvation. Everybody likes the first part. They don't really like the second part. The first part is that he died on the cross for my sin. Somebody say amen. amen. The second part is that I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you know Lord is not just a way that you open up a prayer? Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning. And what does Lord mean? Controller. Decision maker, shot caller, baller. Um, <laughs> here's what it means to be a Christian. I've given up the right to make my own decisions. I've given up the right to have my own worldview. I've given up the right to snap back when they come at me. And now all of my decisions are dictated by the new controller of my life, Jesus Christ. I don't want to go into that. That's a different message for a different day. But the only way you will ever make Jesus the Lord of your life is when you're exhausted of being your own Lord. When you finally figure out you running things ain't working is when you'll want him to run things. But as long as you still think you're good at being Lord, you'll never be enticed by him. All right. So we got to preach. Are you ready for the overcorrection? And here's what happens when humans look at the abuse in church. We see something and we say, we don't want to be associated with that. And instead of finding out what the word of God says, we overcorrect on the opposite side just so that we're not associated with the abusers. So they said, hey, you can't be familiarly saved. It's not a community group dunk or whatever it may be. You must make a decision for yourself. 
So all that matters is your relationship with God. The only thing that matters when it comes to faith is you and God. Can I preach for a second? So church doesn't matter. Attending on a Sunday doesn't matter. Going to connect groups don't matter. Serving on a dream team doesn't matter. Anything that has to do with other believers is not my problem. As long as I have a relationship with God, I'm good. There's two verses in scripture in the book of Acts that look very similar. One, when Peter was preaching, the crowd that were not Christians, they responded, what must we do to be saved? In other words, what do we have to do to not go to hell and to spend eternity in heaven with God? Here was Peter's response. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another verse where, where they went to Paul and they said, what must we do? Period. Not what must we do to get into heaven, but what must we do to maximize this life? And here's what Paul said. He said, believe in God, be baptized in water, begin to connect with other believers, do the work of the ministry. In other words, if all you want is fire insurance, then it's a decision to make him Lord. But if you actually want to maximize every area of your life and you don't want to wait to get to heaven, but you want to see heaven in your marriage and heaven in your kids and heaven in your finances and heaven in your community. If you want to see God's goodness in your life, can I just say it plain? You're going to have to deal with God's people. <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of fun today. All right, write this down. Three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. First one is this. Isolation will limit your sight. Isolation will limit your sight. This passage in Acts chapter 9 is unbelievable. There was a Pharisee by the name of Saul. And, and, and as you may know, Pharisees were, were the religious leaders of the time. What you may not know is they were the most intelligent men on planet Earth. You may think you're smart enough to be a Pharisee. You're not, trust me. To be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible Word for word, by age 11. I barely knew my alphabet by age 11. So like, I know. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Do, 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 do. No, he was intelligent, intelligent. And he began to hear about this faith called the way that was telling people that relationship with God wasn't based on obeying the 635 laws that the Jews were required to obey. It was based on some man named Jesus who claimed to die on a cross for people's sins. And Paul said, that's not what I read in scripture. And he began to, to torture and humiliate and terrorize people of the way. I, I can't wait till I get to heaven and I talk to Paul because we gonna throw hands. You can't fight in heaven. I don't find that in scripture. I know we can't die in heaven. It didn't say we can't fight though. Why you want to beat Paul up? Because he killed Stephen. <laughs> Loser. If you read Acts chapter 7, the Bible says that it was Paul or Saul at the time who gave everybody permission to stone my namesake to death. Wait till I see Paul. 
The Bible says he was on a horse with his henchmen and he had legal documents to go to the city of Damascus and arrest Christians and throw them into prison for their execution. And as he's riding to Damascus, a power hit him, knocked him off of his high horse. That's where the phrase came from, by the way. He got knocked off your high horse. And he heard this voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goats? God, God speaks to people. One of the things you don't want to hear from God is why are you working against me? There's a lot of people, it's not a problem for them to be against you. It's a problem when God is against you. And God comes to this murderer, Saul. And he says, Saul, I have a great future for you. I have a plan for your life. I want to, he is murdering God's people. And instead of God murdering him, God says, no, I have a plan to use you in a great way. Let's pause. And you think your past is too messy for God to have a great future for you? You think you've made too many mistakes? You think you've messed up? You think that abortion or that divorce is turning God away from the fact that he has an amazing future for you? If he can use a murderer, how much more can he not use you in a great way? So he says, Saul, pick yourself up. Go to the exact city that I'm going to send you to. But I have a new purpose for you. Here's one of the problems that we struggle with. We're afraid to surrender our lives to God. Because we honestly think he's going to mess it up. How arrogant of me. I think the same thing though. My greatest desire is to build an amazing business. And I'm afraid that if I sell out to God, that he's going to have me be some poor, pious missionary in Timbuktu, and, and I'll never be able to realize my dream. Look what he did. He sent Saul right where Saul wanted to go. You want to go to Damascus? I'm going to send you to Damascus. You want to build a great business? I'm going to have you build a great business, but for a different purpose. Same direction, but a different motivation behind it. And here's the problem. Saul got up. He like, got bright out here. He was blind. Because God says, when I have an encounter with you, you will not see life the way that you used to see it. My prayer for some of you is not that you would meet Jesus, but that he would change your vision. I strongly question if someone's really had an encounter with God. If you saw marriage one way before you met Jesus, and after you met Jesus, your view of marriage has not changed. If you saw money one way before you met Jesus, and after Jesus, your view of money. If your vision on life has not changed, I strongly question, have you encountered God? So here it is. So, got speed up. Gets to Damascus. He's blind as a bat, y'all. He can't see nothing. And y'all know me, I'm ignorant. I always ask myself ignorant questions. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus healed blind people for lunch. I mean, he spit on one, he made mud for the other. Jesus was opening blind eyes all day, every day. He could have easily opened Saul's eyes. But watch this, he refused. This was the first TV remote incident of the Bible. Any fathers, you have kids, you have kids, you have kids, you have kids. It, it, it's a blessing to have kids. Kids have a lot of great purposes in life. One of the main purposes of all children 
is to get you the TV remote. That's why I made you. It's actually why I made three, just in case two of them aren't around. Make sure I don't have to get up. My, my youngest, Jade, she's one. She just started walking. And I wanted to train her up in the way she should go. So I'm sitting down watching NFL Network and the game goes off and I need to watch one of the other channel. And I'm like, hey, Jay. She's in the kitchen. She comes. <laughs> Took her like 20 minutes to get from the kitchen to the... <laughs> and she's one, but she knows what the TV remote is. I said, Jay, get daddy the TV remote. She thinks it's a game. Yay! <laughs> Moving half an inch at a time. 15 minutes later. She thought she was going to get to watch Bubble Guppies. I get to go, thanks, thanks, baby girl. Turn on football. She's like. <laughs> now, like, you are a horrible father. I do other things, but there got to be a perk to it. That's dumb. I could have got the remote myself. Why didn't I? I didn't feel like it. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Jesus could have opened Saul's eyes himself, but he didn't. What are you going to do about it? What didn't he? It's not that he couldn't, it's that he wouldn't. Why did he leave Saul blind? Because God was trying to establish in fulfilling the purpose in your life. There's some things that you will get from God, but there's some things that you can only get from other believers. God says, you can get some things from your relationship with me, but I'm going to reserve some things that you will only be able to get if you will take the risk of open your life to other believers. And I'm glad we got to laugh a lot up to this point because there might not be much laughing after this point of the message. And a lot of Christians have decided, nope, I'm good. I'll settle for a relationship with God. But if maximizing my life means opening my life to other people, I want no part of it. And here's what's resulted. I have a relationship with God, but blindness in my marriage. I have a relationship with God, but blindness in my finances or in my future. Because the inability for us to see all of life the way that God will, our eyes will only be open from the right godly relationships, from being, not attending the church, but being the church. Here's what the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Somebody say amen. amen. I hate this verse. <laughs> Here's what the Bible says. If you want to be forgiven, confess to God. But if you want to be healed, tell somebody else. Now nah, I'm good. I ain't tell. You know what the problem with that verse is? It's the word sin. If that verse said, hey, tell your wins to everybody else, oh, bet. Let me tell you how great I am. It's that word sin that messes us up. Because when we hear the word sin, we think of our deepest, darkest, ratchet mistakes. I ain't telling anybody about freshman year. It was 15 years ago. They don't need to know. That's between me and Jesus. It's because you have a misinterpretation of the word sin means. The word sin doesn't mean your deepest, darkest, ratchet mistakes. Now, it does include that. <laughs> Just to clarify. But that's not what, you know what the word sin means? It literally means to miss the bullseye. 
means to miss the target. It means here's an area where my life is off. I love God. I love my wife, but our marriage just isn't what God promised. It's a little bit off. Uh, I'm, I'm tithing, I'm working hard, I'm paying off my debt, but, but I'm still stressed out financially. My, my finances are a little off. I love my kids, I'm taking them to church, I'm trying to be a good father, trying to be a good mother, I'm trying to parent them, but my wife, she just grew up in a different home. We, we see parenting differently and our, our parenting is just, it's not ratchet, it's not horrible, it's not egregious, it's just not what God, God said, those are the things that you've got to open up to other believers. And it says when Ananias got there, he laid hands on Saul. By the way, you hear me keep on switching back between Saul, Paul, Saul, Paul. Why? Because after Saul had an encounter with God, God changed his name to Paul. Because he said, Saul is who you used to be, but there's a new identity that you have in Christ. Ananias came, he laid hands on him and scales fell from his eyes. You need another believer to lay hands on you. Hear me. Not literally, even though there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you got a demon. We'll take care of that too. But here's what the laying on of hands biblically represented. A grandfather would lay his hands on his grandchildren as he was passing away. And he would bequeath all of his life experience to his grandkids. That's where the verse came, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children. It would be a ceremony where that grandfather would say, all the property that I worked for, all the, here's what he was saying. He was saying, grandson, granddaughter, you don't start from scratch. You start from where I left off. The laying on of hands is when somebody comes into your life and said, hey, you don't have to learn from pain. You don't have to learn from the hard way. You can pick up where I left off. I've made that same dumb mistake by telling my wife to submit to me. It doesn't work. Let me teach you. You ever heard people say pain is a great teacher? Pain is a substitute teacher. You know what the best teacher is? Somebody else's pain. If I could learn what you went through so I don't have to. I'm just having fun. Is that all right, Ruben? You know it's a sin not to go to church. Can I? Can I? I'm just having fun. Y'all, y'all don't look like you having fun. I'm, do you know it's a sin? That right after church, if you run out this building like the building's on fire and jump in your car and speak to nobody. <laughs> Easter Sunday, I was preaching at two campuses. So I preached two services at one. Then I jumped in my car right at the end. Union updates is still playing. They ain't even taking an offering yet. And I had to get to the other company. Do you know there were people in the parking lot driving off ahead of me? <laughs> You're laughing because it was you. <laughs> The, I'm throwing her best because she's right here. Our chief of staff, Temi Pope, when she started coming to the church nine years ago, I thought she was a track star because we couldn't even say amen and she's in the parking lot. Just. So God could use you no matter where you start. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, don't stop going to, I mean, meeting together with other believers which some people have gotten into the habit of this side of the pandemic. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. I can't read. 
Instead, encourage each other. That word encourage is also the word prophesy. What does that mean? Declare a great future over. Encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. Everybody, world's almost coming to end. You see all these tornadoes. You see all these wars and rumors of war. Well, the Bible says you should be going to church even that much more. I, I think I'm a phenomenal preacher. I'm really offended by the hesitation of your amen. That's completely okay. I'll preach about hell next week. See what you get. No, I I think I'm a great preacher. I I like my preaching. But I have sober judgment about my preaching. I know what it's capable of, and I know what it's not capable of. My preaching can point you to Jesus. My preaching can inspire you for a greater future. My preaching can't make a disciple of you. My preaching can't fully form Christ in you. God has reserved that for godly relationships. We have connect groups that are launching next week. Do you know what the whole point of a connect group is? Whatever area you're blind in, find a connect group around that area. And there's people that are going to restore your sight according to the word of God. If your money is funny, there is Financial Peace University where other people have learned how to get out of debt, purchase homes, save for retirement, and live in abundance. Get around those people. God will open your eyes in that area. If your marriage is miserable... There's a marriage on the rock. Me and my wife taught this marriage group for years. We used to mix up the name. We thought it was marriage on the rocks. I don't know if that's liquor or a shipwreck, but our marriage looked like both. So we're like, let's just go and see what happened. We learned after a while, it's not marriage on the rocks. It's marriage on the rock built on Jesus. If your marriage is just not where it needs to be, go to that connect group and get around people that are growing in their marriage. There's a parenting connect group. There's a real estate connect group. There's a financial piece. There's so many connect groups. Why? Because whatever area you're blind in, God's church was designed to restore your sight. Can I preach just for a second? Some of you are getting your sight restored by people who don't know your God. Oh, pastor, I'm in community. I've got friends. I've got my investment group and I've got this and I've got that. And I've got people outside of the kingdom of God that are giving me wisdom. Well, here's two thoughts. If their wisdom works, it's from God anyway, because only good things come from God. And two, if they don't have God at the center of their life, their wisdom will be tainted. And it'll move you forward and it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Yeah, they could teach you how to build a phenomenal business and lose your spouse and kids in the process. No, it's God's. Do you understand the church was never designed to be a place where we just go shout hallelujah and go home afterwards? And I'm sorry, but it was never designed to be a place where I sit in my sofa and I watch online. And when I click off, I say, I've been in church. No, you haven't. Church isn't music and church isn't a message. Church is actually taking the risk to be around other people that are going to push me towards the things of God. Now, watching online, and I ain't talking to y'all, y'all here watching online. I'm talking to you. You see me staring at you. 
Watching online is not a bad thing. Paul said this. He said, you have few fathers, but many teachers. If you watch me online, I'm your teacher. I watch preachers all over the nation, but I'm not your pastor. Because in order for me to pastor you, I got to be able to connect you with other people. Now you feel safe because you're like, well, at least I'm in the room. That don't make me your pastor. Because the way you've been doing growth track for the last four years. <laughs> just because it's four steps doesn't mean it's one year per step. <laughs> no, I'm, trust me. I want something for you. Not something from you. And I promise you, a lot of the pain that you're experiencing in life. There's a believer in this church that has vision for your solution. And if you just say, I'm an introvert, I don't deal with people. I'm an extrovert, I already have too many friends. You'll never see the greatness of God in your life. Now here's the problem. My clock is red, and that's just point one. So I'm gonna read you the next two points, and then we go close, because I told him I'm end on time. I never have, but we will today. All right, write this down. New people are a threat. One of the reasons why it's easy to be a Lone Ranger Christian is because we believe the Apostle Drake. No new friends. Can, can we have an honest conversation? It's exhausting to meet new people. People are needy. People have issues. I'm a pastor. I love people. I just don't like most of them. <laughs> They're weird. And Ananias said, God, I'm not going to Paul. He's a murderer. You're trying to get me killed? And here's what God said. Ananias, I set Paul up to receive you before I sent you to him. I'm not sending you to a random person. I'm sending you to a divine relationship ordained by God that was placed there to catapult your, hear me, there are divine relationships ordained by God with people that you go to church with every single Sunday. I'm not saying you've got to like everybody at Union Church. I, you can finish that sentence. Make sense? You can't have friends with 100 people. But um, God is my witness. There are at least three people at this church that when you invest in that relationship, your relationship with God and all that he has for you will catapult forward. But if you keep using the excuse of, well, I got to take the kids to practice and I got to work 60 hours, got to do this, got we all busy. You ever had somebody tell you they were busy and you're just like, that's a Tuesday for me. <laughs> But when I realize I'll never maximize all that God has for me until I invest. Last thing is this. One place designed to equip. There's one place on this earth that God has designed to equip you to maximize all that he has for you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Now, some people are just philosophers. They, you ever met people like that? They're annoying. Every, everything, they just want to 
So what's the meaning of life? Why are we, why are we doing, why are we working? Why work out? Why eat? Why? It's all meaningless. Other people, like me, we're survivors. I don't got time to philosophize. I got, I got stuff to do. I got things to go. But the reality is, it doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum, we're all asking the same question. What's the meaning to all of this? Why am I waking up every morning, giving it my all, putting one foot in front of the other, and trying to maximize all that I am? And for some of us, we've made the decision that the meaning of life is setting our kids up in a way that we never were able to set up. And guess what happens? You'll accomplish that. Your kids will grow up. They'll be mature. They'll be amazing. They'll have great careers. They'll get married to amazing spouses. They'll have kids and they'll leave. And you'll still be alive with a lot of life ahead of you. Wondering, was that all there was to it? So some people are there, no, no, building a great career and, and building great amounts of wealth is the purpose of life. And guess what? You will accomplish that. You'll build an amazing career. You'll get promotion after promotion. Then you'll leave and you'll launch your own thing. And, and you will one day have enough money that you don't know what to do with. And after you get there, you'll have a lot of life ahead of you. And you'll begin to look back and you'll say, well, what more is there? And you could figure that out at the end of your life. Or you could study God's word and realize I can learn it at the beginning. In Matthew chapter 6, here's what God said. He said, the world runs after those things. And do not misinterpret my message. None of those things are bad. We don't know balance in church. If we highlight church, we got to demonize wealth. Why? Wealth is amazing. Having great kids is amazing. Great relationships, a great career. All God said, in everything that you do, do it unto the Lord. Yes. Just don't make that the meaning of life. Yes. He said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to seek first. I'll read from the beginning, 31. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For people who don't know Jesus, that's what pagans mean. It means people that are the Lord of their own life. Said they run after these things. Jesus said, you think I gave up my only son? You think I died on the cross so you could live like them? No, he said, but you, but you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he said, all of those things will be added. Do you know a relationship with God isn't even enough to fulfill you? Because there's a lot of miserable Christians around. He said, no, no, when you find the kingdom impact that I placed you on this earth to have, he said, that's when you'll find the fulfillment that can't be found outside of me. So here's my challenge. Here's my charge. It's time to take the risk of not just dealing with God, but dealing with the believers around us that he's called to propel us forward. Connect groups launch next week. You need to be in a connect group. Pastor, I'm busy. A so what was coming up in my spirit, but that's not godly. So I just, I just choked that one right back down. It's like, I know. So, so am I. They have connect groups that meet once a month. They have virtual connect groups. They have connect groups for businessmen and businesswomen. They have entrepreneurial connect groups. We need a millionaire's connect group. I need to get up in that connect group. I, 
I ain't one, but the anointing can just, just. You, you need to finish growth track. Like I've been nice. I'm done being nice. Stop playing games. Like God has more for you. Let's go. You need to serve on a dream team. Pastor, I'm busy. Don't give me that. You can give God one Sunday a month. You can. By the way, we don't need you to serve on a dream team because we can't run church without you. I don't know if you noticed, but kind of happened today and you didn't help. So (laughs) I need you to serve on a dream team because your life will not be maximized without it. You know, people know how to park cars, right? Parking team out there to park your disobedient car. They're out there because there's another woman on parking team. There's a man on parking team. Then when you meet them, your marriage will go to a whole nother level. I don't need, I see a young man sitting here with a kid's t-shirt on. I don't need men serving in union kids because we can't staff union kids. Union kids is happening right now without you. I need men serving in union kids because that 11-year-old boy needs to see what it looks like for a man to lift his hands. And to say, I love God and I need him for all that I have within me. It's not just about you. I'm telling you, when that 11-year-old boy comes up to you at 35 and said, man, I want to be just like you when I grow up. It's going to do something inside of you that money that is not bad could never do. What's your next step? Take it. It may be get out of Glen Burnie and come to a physical building. It may be join a connect group. It may be finish growth track. It may be take the risk of staying in the lobby five minutes instead of running to your car. I'll be in the lobby right after the service. All your campus pastors will. The whole staff will be there. I'd love to meet you. Now, you're not going to be my bestie because there's a lot of people, but I'll introduce you to a lot of people. I'm telling you, your life will go to the next level if you'll take the risk of dealing with God's people. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful for this opportunity to be in your house, God, with your people. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. I've got one really serious question for you. Is he really the Lord of your life? I know you're in church. I know you may believe in Jesus, but let's just between you and God right now. Have you surrendered the ability to make decisions? Say, I give that to God. It's no longer me. Bad news. If not, you may be a church member, but you're not a Christian. Good news is that you could change that right now. Jesus did all the heavy lifting on the cross. and He's simply waiting for you to respond. If you say, Pastor, I'm like you. I grew up in church, but I never surrendered to the God of the church. Or maybe this whole religion thing, this whole faith thing is new to you. But you know, I don't have God in my life like I need to. If that's you, right where you're sitting, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, mean that word, Lord. Say, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and shedding your blood so that I don't have to earn your forgiveness. Today, I surrender. I give you my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. 
and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every... Come on, somebody's vision just changed. Somebody's life was made whole. Somebody, in, can you celebrate as if someone just made the greatest decision ever?